0: Everybody, welcome into another Purple Insider and bring me the news live stream. Matthew Collar along with Sam Ekstrom here. And Sam, uh, we're going to do a hardcore preview of Vikings Bears. We're going to break down position by position. Who's going to out scheme who? Yeah, let's go. No, that's Football. not what- we're going to do it all. We're going to talk about the Minnesota Vikings future here, and uh, maybe we'll mention the game that they're playing. And uh, because I don't even know who's playing on the field. uh, Well, let me ask you this question actually to start, because there is a question, a single question about Vikings bears, which is should they play the backups and the young players in this game? I think the argument for doing so, Sam, is that, uh there are a lot of guys that need development and need reps to play in real football games that haven't gotten an opportunity yet there are players that fans actually might want to see like just for example Cam Bynum or oh i don't know Kellen Moore uh, that caused quite the issue uh, asking about Kellen Moore the other night but um, there's a case to play Kellen Moore especially since
1: look if Wait wait no, Kellen Moore is is Kellen that you have a scoop t- do you have a scoop, have a scoop on the Kellen next coach Mond. All right. Sorry. Oh th- my goodness. I was thinking about breaking Kel- news. Yes.
0: I was thinking about coaching candidates of Kellen Moore. We'll get to that later. That pertains to my game. I am sorry. Kellen Mond. Uh, no disrespect, Kellen Mond. I'm not Mike Zimmer. I'm not disrespecting you, but um, <clears throat> so Kellen Mond, I apologize. Playing him, playing younger players, Amir Smith-Marset, Ken A. Wong-Wu, guys who might matter for the future in some way could get a look. And uh, they did this 2019, they played Alexander Hollins and Armand Watts, who's had a pretty decent year, got his first look in that game. Uh, Oli Udo, who ended up being a starter, not a good starter, but he got his first experience in that game as well. Uh, I think there is a, a pretty good case to play the backups, but the best argument, Sam, might be the fact that if you're planning on trading Kirk Cousins. There is no reason to bring him off the COVID list and play him and risk any type of injury. And the same thing goes for Justin Jefferson. Why play Justin Jefferson or Delvin Cook or anybody that you're going to need for next year? Because if somebody tears an ACL in this game, then you're talking about not being ready for the start of next year. uh, And for what now they played the starters last year against Detroit. I didn't agree with it then. And uh, I won't agree with it now, but uh, give me your opinion on this.
1: Well, my opinion is your opinion. They shouldn't. I mean, sure, you have to play some. You can't play all backups because you just don't have enough bodies. But um, the team's already said they're going to play the starters, and that probably means Kirk, assuming that he can come off the list. That probably means everybody. Um, They do have, though, so many players on the COVID list right now that I really can't keep track of who's available, who's not. The offensive line could be completely makeshift, which might even offer you a look at Wyatt Davis. But they should be playing Kellen Mond at minimum. I mean, I I get that week 17, or in this case, week 18, can often be misleading. Like that that 2019 game you alluded to, where they, they appeared to draw meaningful conclusions about Drew Samia, and Ole Udo and Armin Watts, and they cited that game as evidence why they were good players. And I think that's kind of a bunch of hooey. I mean, to to judge one meaningless game. And this is what the Vikings do, though. They, they just handpick like a college game and say, that's why we drafted that player. Or they point to the Kirk Cousins against the Seahawks when they signed him. We loved what Kirk did in Seattle when he was a member of Washington. That's why we, like... They kind of get fixated on small sample sizes, which is just an unhealthy way to evaluate. So I'm not that caught up in like the the rookies need time. But what you said is relevant. Like Kirk Cousins can't afford to get hurt. And I know he's not the injury prone type, but he probably shouldn't play. It probably is more valuable at the quarterback position, especially to to give them to give that rookie a look. Um, I'm not too concerned about really any anywhere else. Do do what you want. I mean, it doesn't matter either way to me that much. But at quarterback, just let Kellen Mond play. At least he gets to play against starters, uh, which is better than preseason. And if he, like, Mike Zimmer doesn't seem to like Kellen Mond and doesn't think he's very good. So maybe Mike Zimmer wants to make a point and actually show that he's not good and play him and make his his point that way that, hey, this is what we were dealing with. I wash my hands of the whole Chicago or the whole Green Bay fiasco. But um, that's the only thing that would kind of make this game compelling, right? If Kellen Mondo is playing. Otherwise, what is there to get excited about?
0: And and that was going to be my other point was at least you would give people some reason to watch. I don't think that anybody is going to show up to this game. In fact, if you have never been to US Bank Stadium and you're thinking about going to a game for the first time, what when will we do it? I don't know. Well, don't pick week one next year, that'll be really expensive pick this game because you're going to have preseason prices and you could see the stadium and there will be people in Vikings jerseys playing a football game down below. So this, this is even better than the preseason because you're going to get the starters for the entire game and going to pay the same price. <laughs> uh, but realistically, um, I mean, I, I don't know if, I don't know if there's any case that you could actually make to Mike Zimmer, for example, that would be compelling to him. If you said, well, Mike, you know, the fans want to see Kellen Mond, even though, look, Kellen Mond is not the long-term starting quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, period, end of sentence. There is a 0% chance that Kellen Mond becomes the franchise quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. So you're not like giving a look to a future starter star quarterback here, but you might be giving a look to a backup quarterback because Kellen Mond couldn't be a backup for this entire year, according to the coaching staff, that they wanted Sean Mannion instead. And it's pretty cheap to have a third-round backup quarterback if he has a little experience and plays halfway decently to look like maybe you could trust him in a real NFL game, which is about the bar that you set. I mean, you see how backups mostly look around the league. If you could at least trust them to possibly win a football game and game manage their way through it or make a few plays – then that's a good backup. Well, if you can have him as your cheap third-round pick backup who's getting paid, I don't know, $900,000, that just gives you a little more cap flexibility to put that money into other things as opposed to teams that have to spend like $10 million uh, on a backup as... I think Chicago is doing that with Andy Dalton. I think he's signed like a $10 million deal. Mm -hmm. Um, It's worth it if you lose your starter and the $10 million guy comes in and wins a game or two, but you'd far prefer to have a young player uh, in that position. So there is that. But I don't think you could talk Mike Zimmer into, hey, Mike, you know, the fans are kind of done or, hey, you know, we're going to trade Kirk Cousins in the offseason. I mean, what does he care? Everyone's talking about him getting fired at this point. So he doesn't want an L versus a W on his record and remember last year how elated he seemed to have won the game against the Detroit Lions it was like well that was really good for us you know sort of going into next year we need to have wins like that and it's important to win that game I remember the post-game press conference thinking to myself like what what am I being told here like what difference does it make 7-9 versus 6-10 is nothing but I'm not the one that has a pro football reference page where they put the W's and L's and nobody asks if the games were meaningless or not. So I totally understand it from Zimmer's perspective. And maybe this would have been part of the argument to move on from Zimmer on Monday as opposed to waiting out this thing until Black Monday at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, um, the word gaslit comes to mind with regard to to last year's Detroit win. Congratulations. But um, Mike Zimmer is the this is fine meme right now. He is in a burning building and has no idea. I mean, e- unless he's a really good bluffer, which he really isn't. Um, he, he sat at the press conference yesterday and gave a totally normal opening statement, breaking down what happened on film in the Packers game. No acknowledgement of the playoff miss, no acknowledgement of the bigger picture. Um, he said he's too focused on Chicago to think about anything else. And he twice now has seemed totally oblivious to any rumors of instability for his head coaching job. So all of that piece together, he just doesn't know any other way. And and maybe this is like the, the problem kind of big picture with Zimmer is that he doesn't always see the big picture. He's too focused like day to day, week to week, misses maybe what's happening in the league greater trends or or patterns that that might be getting overlooked because this is a guy that doesn't know the day of the week a lot of times he doesn't have a whole lot of other focus he's kind of a tunnel vision coach and uh and maybe there's something greater to take away from that but I don't really see like if he is going to be axed after this game which I assume the decision has been made like I assume that the result here doesn't matter um I guess it would have made more sense to do it after the Green Bay game um, because there you really do need to, and I think most teams would, turn an eye toward next year. And maybe in Mike Zimmer's mind, and I, I believe he said this too, when you end a season with a win, in his opinion, it like sets the table for the next offseason. I I don't buy that like one iota at all, (laughs) but I, I I legitimately believe that's a quote that he's used in the past and probably believes that and probably thinks there's going to be a a greater stigma to go seven and 10 than eight and nine. I think it's all a little misguided, but I am just trying to put myself in his brain and I think that's where he's at right now.
0: All right. So I have something fun for us in just a minute uh, where, I want to give you a survey to decide which coaching candidates you want most. All right. So I have five questions and you have to give it a one through five. And the way that it's uh, works out will tell you which three coaching candidates you most want. So this is like a uh, what kind of lover are you type of survey. All right. Ah. We'll do that in just a minute. But yesterday for our humble Substack, and this also went up at bringmethenews.com as well if you want to read it. I wrote about how close the Vikings were to actually being a playoff team and something that I've mentioned on the show. And we've talked about a little bit is um, just the, Hey, we're a couple games away from being 11 and four or whatever, 11 and five, uh, which we kind of, you know, rolled our eyes at because there are a couple other games away from, you know, losing those close ones at Carolina and everything else. But, you know, a lot of times the way the cookie crumbles in the NFL is weird. Uh, There's bad luck, there's penalties, there's injuries, there's randomness in football games. And sometimes you can actually be a good team that ends up missing the playoffs. And sometimes you could be a bad team that ends up making the playoffs. And the way we could figure these types of things out is usually by looking at the broader statistics and what they say. And uh, so Mike Zimmer was asked straight up yesterday, why are you guys not a playoff team? And that was his answer. We lost this game close. We lost this game close. We lost this game close. We that that was the whole answer. That was the entire explanation. There was no, I didn't coach well enough or anything like that. It was just, we lost a bunch of close games. That's why we're not in the playoffs. Um, so I looked this up, Sam. The Vikings have a minus 15 point differential right now. The lowest playoff team in the NFC is plus 59. The average one is plus 99. So they were 114 points off of being an average playoff team in the NFC this year. This team was not remotely close by any statistic. Their offense scored fewer points than any other offense that's in the playoffs. Their defense allowed more points than any other team that's in the playoffs. They, in terms of yards per play on offense, were worse than any other team that's in the playoffs. In terms of PFF grades for their offense and defense, their offense graded slightly higher than Arizona, their defense graded worse than every other team. I mean, this, and I even looked like, well, what if I sort of flipped, what if Kirk had played against Green Bay and I flipped that one, the score, and the Vikings blew out the Packers? You still would have been off by about 80 points for being a playoff team. I think that that right there, if we're talking about things that encapsulate Mike Zimmer, the the preposterous, excuses and talking around things and not just acknowledging what has gone wrong has become one of the biggest frustrations I think for us as um, carriers of truth (laughs) purveyors of truth over the last few years you mentioned gaslit like that's that to me is gaslit like that's gaslighting is you Guys just don't understand that we lost some close games, and that's why we're not in the playoffs. When zero numbers point to this team being on the same level as a Dallas, Arizona, even a San Francisco. And I, I guess I just I needed to write about that because I've gotten so exhausted of hearing it, and then you kind of hear it in other places, people saying, well, that Vikings team was real close. There isn't anything to actually suggest that they were.
1: Yeah, let me just hit, hit Zimmer with a rebuttal. What if Greg Joseph doesn't make an absurd field goal against Detroit? What if you lose a coin toss against Carolina? What if Pat Fryermuth hangs on to a ball in the end zone? It can go both ways, and you could be four and twelve. By that logic, Um, that's that's craziness. I mean, that just doesn't it doesn't add up. There hasn't been accountability taken for the defense, and you you know what. I think last year we gave the Vikings a little bit of an injury out um, and their roster was just bad, but we gave them a little bit of an injury out because we said, well, the roster was razor thin and then they lost these guys and 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 man games lost would suggest that they did have pretty bad luck. Looked at their man games lost today, which is, you know, just the, for those that don't know, it, it takes into account the quality of the players you lose, how long you lose them for. The Vikings are right in the middle. I mean, it's not like they've had that bad of injury luck. And the quality of the players they've lost, while they did lose a very quality player in Daniil Hunter, overall, it's not that bad. And it's nowhere near Green Bay. Like, the size of the Green Bay bubble in the man games chart is crazy. They've lost a ton this year. Um, And they still have 13 wins. So it helps to have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. But the Vikings can't really lean on... Like injury bad luck. They can't lean on turnover bad luck. And they can't even lean on the excuse Mike Zimmer is making, which is one possession lost luck, because they've had plenty of it themselves. And the one possession game record is, you know, almost even six and eight. So at best, you know, you even that out to seven and seven, and they're still below 500 or they're at 500. So it, it really is not a conversation that has any basis in truth or reality.
0: And they're a well above average kicking team this year. They had that Mm -hmm. excuse last year that Dan Bailey melted down and they were the worst kicking team in the league this year. They've been totally fine with Greg Joseph overall. Uh, Here's another way I looked at it. I tried to look at it every way I could to find any evidence that that this take was uh, legitimate. I even looked at the total yardage for all of the one score games. Because think about it this way. Like if you are getting way more yards than another team, and you lose the game by one score, by a field goal or something, then maybe it was just re- bad red zone luck or it was a fumble or something else like that, that that went wrong. They'd be seven and seven by the yardage battle, which I think in a one score game usually tells you a pretty good story, except for maybe the Rams game. They had they out yardage the Rams because they were down two scores most of the game. But if, if we eliminate that one, because that was the one where it wasn't back and forth, they were way down and they were playing at the end and getting a bunch of yards. I mean, you're talking about six and eight the same way that is your record. So even by that way of looking at it, it's you, the, the, the close games went 50-50 right down the middle. Some you won, some you lost. Now, here's another question off of my little uh, research to try and figure out if there was anything to this. The Vikings defense by pro football focus grades overall 19th. They are 24th in points. Now, one way that you can try to figure out coaching versus roster uh, is to look at how the individual players grade and how much they got out of them. So I'll give you an example is uh, let's say a quarterback is throwing to wide open receivers by the PFF grades. They don't give the quarterback a ton of credit for throwing to say a screen that goes for 50 yards. Like that's where the box score gives it a ton of credit, but not the PFF grade. So if you are scheming up a bunch of great plays that are easily executed by the players, you would see a higher performance than the grade. So the grade is 19th for the Vikings defense. Their points allowed is either 24th or 25th. This may have changed last night, 25th. Okay. So it's 25th. So they actually performed worse in terms of how many points they allowed versus what the performances were on the field by the PFF grades. And with the offense, it was dead on. It was 13th versus 14th. So they got exactly out of the performances, what you would expect in terms of the points. But I saw someone say something about how, you know, Mike Zimmer has still got it as a defensive schemer and coordinator and teacher. I, I just don't think that that's the case. I don't think that over the last two years, he has gotten more out of. It's either less or exactly on. And the reason that you have him is to get more than you have. And and I don't think that they have done that. I I would like your opinion.
1: Yeah. I mean, just thinking, thinking of it player for player. um, Let's look at the acquisitions. Did Patrick Peterson go back to his all pro form? No. Did Xavier Woods have, you know, any better luck here than in Dallas? No, I think he was, was average, sometimes good, sometimes bad. He was a step late. A lot of the time. Um, Nick vigil was about exactly as you expected. Good coverage guy, bad run stopper. The, the defensive tackles and and remember they were very good in their previous places. And this year they've been good with the Vikings. Occasionally great, mostly good. I wouldn't say they were like pro bowl deserving. Um, I mean, I, I looked all around and I see instances like that where people played sort of at or below the levels. Bashad Breland was below the level. Um, and then some of the in-house talent, DJ Wanham did not get better. Um, Eric Hendricks got worse, oddly. Um, Anthony Barr was kind of in and out of the lineup. He was he was fine. But like who really had an Anthony Harris kind of season or an Eric yeah. Wilson kind of season where they were excellent out of nowhere? Not really anyone. I mean, the best you can say is that James Lynch got a little better. Armin Watts got a little better, like you know, fringe backups. So I'm I'm in full agreement with you that. You know, if you look up and down this roster, there was very little overachieving. Um, the And the talent is, you know, in large measure brought to you by Spielman. And it's your job to make it better. And they brought you bad talent and you didn't get them better. So it's sort of a two-pronged failure there. Um, the run defense was bad. The pass defense was bad whenever it mattered. There's not one area that you can point to and pat yourself on the back. I don't see it. And that's that's Zimmer's side of the ball. Um, so great numbers by you to to support the premise that this is very much a seven and nine team.
0: For all of your Minnesota sports-inspired goods, use the promo code PurpleInsider when you go to Sodastick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K. Dot com you can get their North State Beanie, their Adam Thielen autograph shirts, Marcus Felino fan club design for all of you hockey fans out there, and the one I always mention because it's the best one. The Randy Moss disgusting act. You can put that on a hoodie shirt or almost anything else. And plus Anything you want with skull on it, SodaStick Stick has it. Again, that's s o t a s t i c k dot com. Perfect for gifts, and you can get that shipping free by using the code Purple Insider. Yeah, I think that um, the the sacks and the third downs are kind of the. Well, it looks like you know scheming up pretty well there, but I also think that the quarterbacks that they played against have as much to do with the sack numbers as anything else. Ben Roethlisberger, anybody watched last night? Oh my gosh. Like he's, I think he's worse than what Peyton Manning looked like at the end. Uh, I Mike Tomlin, give him coach of the year for getting a plus 500 season out of that. That was gross. I, I think, I, I mean, there's gotta be quarterbacks who are playing division three who could throw 46 passes and get 120 yards in the NFL. Right? I mean, they're they have good receivers. That's the crazy thing is that, um you know, that's how bad Roethlisberger is at this point. They sacked him a bunch of times. They sacked Justin Fields. He's a rookie who takes a ton of sacks like Jared Goff. I think they sacked a few times. Well, that's Jared Goff. He always does that. Uh, So oftentimes the sack totals have to do with what quarterbacks you're facing as opposed to, Um, how good you rush the passer unless we're talking about individuals from you know like t.j watt or something like that Uh, i also let's can we play a quick game before we go to this uh, uh the the coaching game is just like what happened to that dude is the game mackenzie alexander is a what happened to that dude of all the vikings who have played in football games this year for more than 200 snaps Mackenzie Alexander is by far their lowest graded player a 40 grade from pro football focus, which is an atrocity. Uh, he allowed 117 quarterback rating into his coverage, 73% completion percentage. Like his previous numbers in the NFL were totally fine. And when they signed him, we went like, Oh good. Yeah. Okay. Mackenzie Alexander's back that guy can play. And he just was off the face of the earth. And I I had two theories on this. Mm -hmm. The one would be that the teams they played use slot receivers a lot, use motion a lot. Uh, The Rams, the 49ers, um, things like that. Oh, now you got to make a dog pun. Hello to captain the dog.
1: Um, Like you didn't have many, uh, many captains on that defense. Oh, there you go. Uh,
0: So, but Mackenzie Alexander was one of the worst corners in the entire NFL. He actually graded lower than Bashad Breland for this year. Like what happened? I mean, that's my theory is that teams started attacking him much more than they were before with motion. They played those, those types of offenses, McVay, Lafleur, Shanahan this year a lot. And those attack the slot all the time. But wow. I mean, he was thought to be like a nice little cheap signing and it turned out to be a complete mess.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe he was a little insulated by a much better defense when he was here the mm. first time. Like, that that's one theory I would have where the corners around you, Trey Waynes, Xavier Rhodes, are much better than the corners they had this year. And that's weird to say about Trey Waynes, but he probably would have been an upgrade. Um, but the And the physicality wasn't there either. It seemed like he was a much more physical corner in the run game. Sometimes they brought him on blitzes before and they really didn't do any of that this year. And he was healthy. It's not like you can blame injuries either. So I don't know what, what happened with that other than, um, you know, if he was insulated by a better defense before exposed by a bad defense, you know, and sometimes badness just begets badness where, you know, you get guys running downhill, you're trying to tackle them. And, and it's harder when you're facing that more often than usual, um, so he was exposed and, and I think your theory about the slot receivers is very good as well. There's so many big slots nowadays, Devontae Adams in the slot. Just, it's not fair. Like that, that deep fade that Rogers threw in the first quarter of the other night was just impossible to stop. Um, I think they had him against cup a few times. That's a complete mismatch. And and you saw that a decent amount throughout the year. So, uh, we, we said before the season that of the three corners you signed two had to be like hits, and I think you had two whiffs and one like single in Patrick Peterson.
0: Uh, Kendricks, you mentioned not having the same type of year. I just checked on PFF 23rd among linebackers, which is not where we generally expect Kendricks. We usually expect him to be all pro top five. And uh, I look though, what's interesting about Eric Kendricks, and this when you talk about how defenses, like every player is impacted by every other player. Uh, this is a great example, I think, because Kendricks was sixth in the NFL in PFF grade in coverage. So elite, as you would expect, those are things that he can control in coverage. But in terms of run defense, one of the worst in the entire league, 43rd out of 49 linebackers, Eric Kendricks that played, you know, X number of snaps to be a full-time starter. Or maybe I didn't search it enough, but, you know, 43rd is not where you expect him at all in run defense because he's a good tackler. But the fact that they could not stop anybody in the run game, I think there were a lot of guards coming at him full speed or tackles coming at him full speed that were not in the past when Linval Joseph was in there. And and one thing I thought of was just how much Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin I, impact the run game. And we didn't think about that a lot. I mean, now this is not to excuse where they were at, but Eric Hendricks not performing to his level sort of makes your point that just everything had this domino effect this year. And not just off of Daniel Hunter, because they weren't playing well when Daniel Hunter was in there, but just off of everything, it was like there was this bleeding gash and what the, you know, head coach who's supposed to be great at adapting is supposed to do is put a tourniquet on it. And he just didn't. It just kept bleeding. And I was thinking about, you know, the the, uh, Kansas City Chiefs for this and Steve Spagnuolo. The Chiefs defense was a laughingstock early in the year. And Spagnuolo flipped some switches. And then all of a sudden, they've been solid. I mean, not against Joe Burrow the other day, but mostly solid for the rest of the year and won some games that maybe they shouldn't have even won the way their offense was playing. That's what you expect of the Zimmer defense. And it just did not happen. At all. And I, I I guess I don't have a good explanation, but it's two years in a row. And this year, the injury thing is a good point, because I went through all the players in my article who played more than 10 games on defense. And it, and it's almost everybody. I mean, Kendricks, Smith, Tomlinson, Barr, Peterson, Breland, Alexander, Wanham, Woods, all these guys played at least 10 games. Uh, so it was, I guess... If you're talking about what would have been the last argument for Mike Zimmer, it would be like, well, the guy still got it as a defensive scheme, uh, but I, I'm not sure that he does.
1: Yeah, it's it's puzzling because I, I I think you mentioned some of the schemable downs where he was quite good, like third down, um, you know, opportunities to get sacks, red zone. That was all okay, so maybe he still has like you know a few a few bullets to fire, but between the 20s it got it got pretty messy because teams are no longer as predictable as they used to be when Mike Zimmer was accustomed to stop the run on first, stop the run on second, send the blitzers on third down. You know, have a big nose tackle, they'll run up the middle right at you and and the guy will like bear hug him. That's how it works. It doesn't work like that anymore. Teams were running to the edge. You pointed this out all year long. The ends and the corners who typically would would snuff those out in years past couldn't do that because they were getting blocked by tight ends and wide receivers, which exposed the linebackers more. And Eric Hendricks was pretty abysmal at tackling this year. And like in the Packers game, he was missing some run fits and just kind of looking really disjointed, which is atypical. And I think he was due for aggression because it's almost impossible for a, a linebacker to play at that peak level for three consecutive years, it just doesn't happen. I mean, he was due to regress a little bit to the pack. And um, you know, the the defense's expected points uh in run defense, dead last in the NFL, like not even close to the next worst team. So there are some serious flaws on this defense. And whether it's schematic or talent, I think there's probably, you know, it's a, a Venn diagram and there's some overlap there. Um and I think that has to be part of the evaluation when looking at this coaching staff that, Hey, you kind of didn't really find ways to fix this. Um, And in fact, it only got worse for a second straight year as it went on. And that has to be a part of the equation.
0: Well, and for a long time, I, I had been saying throughout the season, look, I understand that Zimmer is getting a lot of the criticism and I'm pointing more toward the roster. And I would still say that it's talent. Over everything all the time. Like it's Aaron Rodgers' talent over everybody else all the time. That's why they're 13 and three, and you're not 13 and three. End of story. Um, but Matt LaFleur sure has gotten a lot out of Aaron Rodgers these last few years, right? And the thing with Zimmer that we would always look at is well, you know, look, I mean, there are some really bad coaches in the league who are total disasters. Look at this guy's meltdown. Look at how bad this team performs versus expectation, everything else. But that's them now. They're not performing above expectations defensively or even above what their talent has done. And this last set of press conferences is like, oh yeah, okay, well, this is this is Joe judge or Urban meyer ish So, yeah, you know, you know what I mean? like this, the, the, recently, this has looked like the disaster coaches in the league where early in the year, it was, okay, they're fighting, they're playing against this team and, and winning or getting that Green Bay win and so forth. But over the final run of the season, which so often has been the case with this team, 2016, 2018, here we are again, even 2020, where they have a chance to make the playoffs and then give up 52 points. It's like There are so many times where they look like they're coached by Urban Meyer as opposed to um, somebody who's supposed to be, I mean, somebody who is one of the longest tenured coaches in the league. And so that's where that defense that I had brought up throughout the year has disappeared. All right, so let's play this game. Are you ready? Yep. Here's Here's what I've done. I have five questions. You need to give me one through five, and I'll give you the parameters to how to decide that. And then your answers, what they add up to, will give you three coaching candidates. And you can talk about whether you like those candidates or not for the Vikings head coaching job, which, you know, we'll see if it's available on Monday. So let's start off with the first question. How much experience would you like the Vikings new coach to have? Uh, less experience would be one and more experience would be five. And of course you can pick anything in between there. How much experience for the new head coach? And you play along at home. Feel free to send your answers.
1: Can I use decimal points, Matthew?
0: No, you cannot.
1: All right. Three.
0: Also, how dare you?
1: Uh, (laughs) all
0: right. The (laughs) next one, offensive or defensive minded coach, a one on that side is offensive. Five is defensive. One. All right. So you're all is in there the an between
1: coaches. for that. Really?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that it's like, how much do you care about that is if you care, if you only want an offensive coach, it's one, if you only want a defensive coach, it's five. And if you're mm-hmm. kind of on, you know, in the middle, it's like two or three. See what I'm saying? You're going right, to stick I'm with a, one. I'm still one. Okay. One. Uh, would you like your coach to have worked with an elite quarterback before uh, five is absolutely yes. One is does not matter at all.
1: Mm,
0: two. Okay. Uh, do you want your coach to be from a legendary coaching tree or have worked un- directly underneath a coaching legend? Five is absolutely yes. Give me the legendary coaching tree. One is do not care about coaching trees. Three. Three. Okay, and how enthusiastic would you like your coach to be? Ah, uh, one is Mike Zimmer, and five is, you know, I don't know, Sean
1: McVay. Yeah, I was gonna say McVay. Um, yeah, um, I hate saying three so much, but three.
0: Okay, three. So let's find out where we're at here. So we have three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12. All right, so your coaching candidates, and I'll take you through all the different levels. Your coaching candidates are Byron Leftwich, Nate Hackett, and Kellen Moore. Now, here's what you could have end up ended up with. Uh, a five through a nine was Patrick Graham, Matt Eberflus, or Brian Dable. Your 10 through 14, which is where you landed, Leftwich, Hackett, and Moore. 15 through 19 is Doug Peterson, Eric Bieniemy, and Josh McDaniels. And 20 through 25 was Pete Carroll, Dan Quinn, And I threw in Gary Kubiak because, you know, (laughs) he may have been coaching the team anyway from Texas. I'm not really sure. Wow. Uh,
1: That is elaborate.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. I spent some time on this and I was like doing a bunch of practice ones. Like if I say this, then where it will be. So you ended up exactly where I ended up as well, which is in 10 through 14, Leftwich, Hackett and Kellen Moore. Uh, Left, which is the guy that I've continually brought up because if you're handpicked to coach Tom Brady and then you win a Super Bowl with Tom Brady and you work under Bruce Arians, just one of the best flat out best coaches in the NFL. I'm impressed um, if you're handpicked by him. Nate Hackett, though, offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, a guy who's been around. He was the offensive coordinator when the Jags got Blake Bortles to the AFC championship. He is a five out of five on the enthusiastic. I covered him in Buffalo uh, when he worked with, um, was it with Doug Marone there? And then Kellen Moore, who you know. So how do you feel about your group of coaches versus the other groups?
1: Yeah, I already forgot the first one, the enemy. Uh, it's Leftwich, Hackett. And oh, love. Leftwich. No, yeah. Leftwich. I love Leftwich. Sorry. Um, I think Leftwich is one of my my favorite potential hires because, number one, Been around the block, you know, obviously, like, has kind of a player's mindset. I think players will respect that. Um, I love what Tampa Bay stands for offensively. I just, I I think that they get it. They get it with regard to, like, what you need to do to win, what you need to do to be a Super Bowl team, um, that passing is everything. And uh, he's got an Arians influence, which I think if there was going to be, like, a, a coach I'd want someone to learn under, it would be Arians. Um, that that's probably number one for me, and maybe for you as well. I'm not sure where you stand, Hackett. I respect the the Bortles success more than anything he's doing in Green Bay, and that's that would also be my worry. I guess with the enemy is that you can look so much better with a Hall of Fame quarterback, that, and that it can really cover up a lot of flaws. And that's also kind of the risk of of being with a, a legendary coach and coaching tree which I was also a little hesitant about, but um, I do like that Hackett has been under some different schemes. And I think that was sort of the, the Kevin Stefanski like benefit is that he was with so many different coaches and learned from so many people. I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that you can't necessarily have. If you're, you're super young, like Kellen Moore, which would be my hesitancy on more. So if I were to rank those, I would go left, which then Hackett then more.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'm just usually impressed by Kellen Moore's scheme offensively. And uh, that's the thing about uh, Byron Leftwich, too, is that when people talk about, well, you know, look, he's got Tom Brady. The end of Tom Brady in New England was not putting up the type of numbers that you would have expected. And then he goes to Tampa Bay and their receivers are definitely better and their offensive line is definitely better than what New England had. But they have let Tom Brady dictate what he wants to do there. And they throw the ball all the time. They are number one in the NFL and expected points added through the pass. And that's, that's the ticket. Like once again, the top five and expected points added through the pass. which I, I melted our streams Wi-Fi by logging onto pro football reference real quick to check, but Oh yeah, they're all teams that you'd expect to win the Super Bowl this year. Like once again, that's going, going to happen. So if you, if you're hiring an, a, a head coach, who's been an offensive coordinator, I mean, that's the top thing you're looking at is how does this guy's passing scheme produce? Because I don't care how his running scheme pr- produces, honestly. Uh, it's how are you going to work with a quarterback and mold what you do specific to them? And that is what they have done in Tampa Bay with Tom Brady brilliantly. But I also think that with Dak Prescott, I mean, Dak Prescott doesn't really run anymore. He's a, still a playmaker, but he's not mobile as, as he was. And he's been playing that through that calf thing. And yet... They just continue to throw the ball so effectively. And I think a lot of it is good receivers, which the Vikings will have next year. And then scheming those receivers open, which Dallas has done really brilliantly. I think all of these guys though, I do think one of the things that I like about them as the candidate list is they all, and and everyone on this list mostly does, but they all have a lot of NFL experience whether it's playing in the NFL like Kellen Moore and Byron Lefwich did, and then transitioning over to the coaching, or Nate Hackett, as you mentioned, who's been in a lot of different places. He was in Buffalo, and then he was in um, you know, Jacksonville, and, and then uh, you know, onto Green Bay. And again, if you're Matt LaFleur and you're picking someone to work with Aaron Rodgers, like this matters to me that you're picking somebody who's got to work with the most temperamental and frustrating player maybe in the nfl not named antonio brown and yet you know nate hackett has been able to manage that i mean mike zimmer can't manage the anthony barr who's the most like low-key soft-spoken player and yet he found a way to manipulate him a few years ago you can't have that anymore you can't you have to bring in someone who's going to work with the players and not be a player's coach as in like oh let them do anything they want but as a player's coach as in communicate with them, work with them, understand who they are, what makes them tick. I think that has been missing and we've seen it quickly impact the team more as we've gone along, I think, and not being able to get along with Kirk Cousins is just like one of the biggest indictments. I know Kirk Cousins is frustrating. My gosh. I mean, we watch him. He's frustrating to the receivers. He's frustrating to the linemen. He's frustrating to the coaches. But as the head coach, you have to, that's, that's the goal is to get the absolute most out of that guy, and uh, that hasn't happened. So whether it's Cousins or it's a younger quarterback, all of these guys, Leftwich, Hackett, and more, have pretty good cases um, to be able to get the most out of that player. What did you think of the next group, though? The more experienced group was Peterson, Bienemy, and McDaniels. I am more hesitant on that group. I think Peterson is a very good coach. He won a Super Bowl. Um, the enemy has been around for a long time. I've always wondered why teams don't hire him. I don't think it's just because he's black. I, I think that there's some things in his past that are concerning. I, I'm not sure that he also sort of exudes that head coachiness to him that maybe some others do. I'm not saying he shouldn't be hired. I just wonder like, if there's a little bit more to it than just, um, hey, the NFL likes hiring the same kind of Joe Judge over and over again. Uh, but what do you think of that group?
1: yeah, um I think I think you could get excited about any of the three and still have your hesitations too. I mean, McDaniels is the one who's got the flop with with Denver and insisting upon Tim Tebow and and that obviously didn't work out. Some things came out. He had a weird head coaching style. So you're automatically a little nervous about him, I think. uh, B enemy, you know, which I alluded to before. It does make me nervous when Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback, and you really can't do a lot wrong, um, because it just it, that that doesn't translate. Um, Doug Peterson had a bad relationship with his quarterback. What happened there? Like, so th- there are red flags with all of them, in, in my opinion. I thought Peterson, you know, obviously winning a Super Bowl helps your credibility tremendously, but then losing your job two years later, like. I mean, most coaches that win the Super Bowl have, like, the endless leash. Um, so what happened there? How is that falling out that serious? Mm-hmm. Um, so I I, I I question him, too, even though my gut says that he would be, like, the most, like, kind of well-mannered and he, his his resume is excellent. But I still can't get over that. So I, I'd probably be more willing to give the enemy a spin than any of the three, I think, just because, like, let's see what he can do. And, uh, and Andy Reid pretty good person to, to be under as well. So even though I'm nervous about the whole Mahomes dynamic and how, how it works when he doesn't have that, I think the enemy is my favorite of that group. Do you have an opinion there?
0: No, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, and, and realistically like the enemy with what they've accomplished should have a head coaching job. I just, it there, I said that a couple of years ago on Twitter, somebody reached out to me and said, yeah, you know, there's a, there's this or that for why that hasn't happened. Um, But I don't know that some of the things that happened in his past would necessarily um, you know, preclude you from doing that. And I also think the way that they've adapted offensively this year has been really impressive because the early returns on their offense this season were pretty bad. And then they adjusted quickly to what defenses had adjusted to them. And that's something that we've criticized the Vikings for not doing enough of. So yeah, I'm not like, anti-B enemy. I think that there are just some other guys Uh, That I like more. McDaniel's is an absolute no for me. Definitely. just definitely not. I mean, this this guy goes to a place and then says he's not going to coach there. But there's another point. There's another connection with Indy too. With Tug Peterson is Frank Reich is like a top five coach in the league, and he was the offensive coordinator in Philly, and then he goes to Indy and has had consistent success, even with messy quarterback situations. Even Carson Wentz has not been that good this year, and they found a way to win a lot of games and overcome a bad start. Um, so you wonder, like, how much was Doug Peterson? How much was Frank Reich? Mm-hmm. Because Reich is so good. Um,
1: so maybe that, that, John D. Filippo too.
0: <laughs> maybe I don't know. Yeah. Considering Zimmer's relationship with OCs, I don't know. Uh, Ron poses a question in the comments about Kevin Stefanski. Now I don't think Kevin Stefanski has any chance of being fired in, in Cleveland. However, uh, I just before we wrap up, give me your opinion on on what happened there with him, because I follow some Cleveland Twitter and it seems that they want him now heaved into uh, Lake Erie like every other coach that they've ever had. But, you know, I think um, that's that is actually the thing about the Vikings in this year and why you should be so frustrated, because normally when you miss the playoffs and all your numbers are bad, it means your quarterback was bad. The Vikings quarterback was not bad. He was not Mahomes. He was not great. Uh, but Baker Mayfield was horrible this year and they ended up with about the same point differential as the Vikings, by the way, but that's what happens when your quarterback plays hurt and it's terrible and throws, what did they have in the graphic last night? The most interceptions since whatever year for Baker Mayfield, like that usually makes coaches look pretty bad to have your quarterback in a lot of games, play really good football for the Vikings and lose those games. I mean, I'm not saying that that means they should stick with Cousins, but it's just like, wow, that just sort of the, the two teams with one quarterback playing pretty well and you still end up missing the playoffs and the other one being atrocious and them trying to just find any way possible and couldn't do it with Baker. Um, but I, I don't think that they should move on from Stefanski or anything else like that. I think that they should be looking to trade Baker Mayfield.
1: Yeah, and the, the brilliance of Cleveland's situation is is that they are not locked in they didn't make a mistake with Mayfield they haven't given him 160 million dollars so they're fine like i i think Stefanski's scheme when you're losing probably gets a little frustrating because it is on the conservative side and and people like the passing offenses and and i think that with a better quarterback i feel like Stefanski is flexible enough that he would adapt that um you know they had the the Beckham stuff their wide receivers were hurt constantly. I mean, it wasn't just that Mayfield was bad, but it felt like he never had anybody to throw to. Like Landry was in and out. People's Jones was in and out. um, And obviously Beckham really never played. So great running game, great offensive line. There's a foundation there offensively. You just need to get the important positions figured out, which are wide receiver and quarterback. And that wasn't the case this year. And they still they could make the Mike Zimmer excuse too of close games they lost and, and we'd be a playoff team. They're not that far away. So I, yeah, I mean, how quickly Cleveland forgets where they used to be. Right? <laughs> That's I, true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so just, yeah, to put a bow on that, I think, um, it tells you just how much changes in football in a year because all of a sudden it was, hey, he's getting the most out of Baker. And then now it's Baker taking shots. It's Stefanski in the post-game press conferences and things like that. And you're like, yeah, okay. Uh, Baker is definitely one to look to blame other people. But that, it, hey, if they didn't blame each other all the time, maybe we'd have less fun covering the league. So I guess they could keep doing that. Uh, Sam, great stuff. Uh, fun as always. And if you want to tweet me at Matthew Collar or at Purple Insider, if you if you go back and take the survey, I can give you the questions one more time. It's how much experience do you want your new head coach to have offensive or defensive minded worked with an elite QB? Do you want them from a legendary coaching tree and how enthusiastic do you want him to be? So if you want to send me those, it'd be fun. And if you're watching us for the first time here and you haven't listened to our show, normally purple insider, wherever you get your podcast, just type it in. And uh, you will find us, Apple, Spotify, all those things. And purpleinsider.substack.com is where you can find our daily newsletter. And just one more, uh, our work is also featured on Bring Me the News. So Mm -hmm. thanks to Bring Me the News, as always, for hosting us. And boy, the next time we talk on this thing, there's going to be a lot to discuss. So thanks for your time, Sam, and we'll catch you all later. Thanks.